0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and this week on the Midweek Roundup, we're going to be taking a look at three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the past seven days. And as we do each week, we take our stories for our Midweek Roundup from our newsletter that comes out on Mondays on about 9 a.m. Eastern, Uh, And if you would like to subscribe to that newsletter, I'm dropping some links into the chat uh, on our Facebook page uh, and our YouTube channel. But we'll also be putting them in after the recording to our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds for this uh, for this event. So uh, the the newsletter is called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And we put it out each, each Monday in two forms, one which you could sp- subscribe to directly from our website, that's SMIEConsulting.org, slash subscribe. And you'll also find ways to, uh, to subscribe to this podcast as well as to the newsletter if you choose. But we also put this out uh, on LinkedIn, so if you're following me on LinkedIn, you can certainly get that uh, direct, to your in- direct to your LinkedIn feed each Monday morning as well. So, uh, we do that as a way to help generate uh, the kind of set the, set the stage for what we cover here on the Roundup every Wednesday by focusing on both social media and international education stories that are, have come across our desk in the last, uh, last few days. And then we consolidate that in the newsletter and give our quick takes, hot takes on those news stories, and then go in depth into three of those stories each week, uh, three of those themes we see developing in news stories here on the Roundup. So we'll get right into our questions of the day. First up, why are visa backlogs happening in major markets? Now, if you're following the, and certainly most of us who are on the international admissions side of things are eagerly awaiting our new incoming classes. If we haven't, or if they haven't already arrived on campus, orientations are going on this week. Arrivals are happening soon. Uh, classes begin next week or in the next couple of weeks. So it's a hive of activity. And I know many of you won't be watching live. You'll be watching on repeat or downloading the podcast. But uh, this topic of visa. Delivery, Delays is coming at perhaps the worst time. Earlier in the summer uh, we did see did see quite a bit of news on how uh, visa delays particularly in a country like India were being uh, were, were, were being actually reduced. We saw and one of the recent articles we saw, shared last week said that there was only a 10-day wait for a student visa appointment in Mumbai but apparently there's now a 480 day wait in New Delhi and Hyderabad. So there's some real challenges and as we've gotten closer to the start of uh, this academic year, uh, we've seen those delays worsening. And this is at a time when in India in particular, uh, the number two source country for international students in the US, uh, we've seen a lot of reports over the year uh, so far that as of up until mid-May, uh, the um, the uh, consulates and embassy in india had uh, produced uh, had issued more f1 visa interview visas than they had done pre-pandemic in the same time pre-pandemic in 2019 so which was a which was a decent year for the us and india so we see in india we up until now we've seen a lot of uh, positive news coming out about uh visa appointments and uh and the focus on student visas in particular but the the data is, is certainly turning in India and some other key markets is certainly turning against uh, that early success at a time when uh, it's really a, a crunch time for many institutions hoping to bring in that class. Uh, a class that in many respects is Potentially three classes in one over 20, what might have been coming in 2020 that had spent the last two years overseas, uh, maybe starting their degree or postponing their degree and then coming in for the first time uh, this fall. Uh, for students who were trying to do the same thing in t- fall of 21, couldn't get their visas in time, and then of course a new cohort of, uh, of applicants from the past academic year uh, that have graduated from their secondary schools or their uh, undergraduate institutions and are now looking for graduate programs in the United States. That's potentially three years of backlog that most consulates and embassies have been trying to sort through. So. In one respect, it's increased demand that we've been seeing. And in India, certainly, there's been data on a number of different fronts to suggest that uh, clearly the U.S. is booming now in terms of interest in India. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, there are also markets where it's not uh, going as well, uh, where there are not significant delays. Uh, we'll talk about that in another another another, another moment or two. But the national or the average, according to uh, Cato, our Cato Institute's report, uh, that shows that U.S. visa processing has now reached their worst point since the post-9/11 attacks. Uh, obviously, that's uh, fairly significant for anyone who's been in the business that long. You remember, p- post-9/11, uh, everything was on hold for for months, uh, and that visa processing basically ground to a halt. You weren't getting in in the spring, uh, um, unless you met for, for coming from some very friendly countries. Uh, that we're now at a point where the average tourist visa wait time. This is a global average, is 247 days, and that's compared to a benchmark of 17 days before COVID. And we've seen that the for student interviews uh, that uh, are averaging uh, now 49 days globally uh, as of July 2022, uh, five times the pre-pandemic average of 10 days. So clearly, the State Department's still grappling with these issues, and frankly, I'm. Not surprised, but I'm, I'm frankly disappointed uh, when this is a question I had the opportunity to, a friendly question I actually asked at the EdUSA forum of the consular affairs staff that were are uh, presenting at the final panel of the day uh, of the event. And I, I said, hey, we've all experienced the great resignation. Higher Ed certainly has. Most of uh, US society has. Globally, there's been that, and we know it has impacted State Department's uh, uh, folks, uh, in not only those based in D.C., but uh, those uh, Foreign Service officers out in the field. There have been departures from the from, uh, the, consul, from the ranks of the consular officers uh, that haven't been replaced. And there's been a combination of reasons for that, I suggested, that it's been in-country, host, uh, host countries' uh, uh, requirements for re-entry if they had left the country uh, for how many could, could stay, uh, limits that were placed in certain countries uh, but uh, th- even given that opportunity to acknowledge hey we realize you're in, in tough straits here and we're doing your best to get back to where you were they, they said no we haven't really haven't experienced that significant of a, a staffing shortages and it's, it's it's really folly when when you hear government officials speaking like that that makes you makes you wonder we're trying to be we're on your side we we, we want to, we're on the same team we want this to work but uh, they've had real challenges, and the data certainly s- supports this, that they're, they're losing ground this summer in, in major markets, uh, India being the most particular. I think the troubling thing when you see t- an average wait for tourist or business visas is that's uh, an astonishing 247 days uh, compared to the, pre- the pre-COVID-17 days. That is worrying for anyone who's looking to come to conferences in the next six months or a year. So, if you want to come to the U.S. and you don't have uh, for NAFSA next year or any other major conferences, and if you don't already have a visa, uh, you may want to look into applying now for that. Uh, it's a it's a very a, a tough uh, tough environment, frankly, and a very depressing one from the State Department and the U.S. higher ed side to see. Uh, see these uh, these delays resurfacing even though I mean they are still prioritizing student visas and we have to get in that that is uh, but 49 days at this time of the year is not ideal Uh, it puts most students beyond uh, beyond the entry point for this fall term uh, for most institutions other than those that might be on a quarter system that start in late September early October Uh, but you're you're, uh, encouraging a further pushing back of interest uh, or starts in the United States. That may force some of those students to, to, again, continue their degrees online, to start their degrees online this fall, and then make the shift to hopefully in the spring. Uh, so it's not the best situation for U.S. institutions and certainly for the students that have been trying to get here. But uh, it's a complicated mix, and this uh, ISF Monitor report that I've dropped the link in the chat to certainly uh, paints a, a fairly accurate picture, obviously with the data that they're showing. Uh, You also see uh, an example of some of the more hyperbolic but very accurate uh, reporting uh, being done in India uh, that focuses on that 500-plus day wait for U.S. visa appointments for Indians. But uh, they they balance this with they are seeing similar delays uh, for U.K. and other Schengen countries in Europe in terms of uh, travel there. So it looks like... uh, Many consulates in India in particular, the U.S. and other other Western powers and European powers are experiencing these similar delays. So uh, we'll see uh, if how long this continues, but in in a major market like India, there's huge demand to go out, not just to the U.S., but to Canada, U.K., Australia again. So we'll see if these um, delays continue in the coming months. But the one area where we are not seeing this happen, and uh, wait times in, bom- in, uh, in, uh, in in China, for example, are nowhere near uh, what uh, other countries are facing. And uh, to give you a sampling of what that is, I think the last one I saw for Beijing is only two days. Uh, Bangkok, seven days. Ho Chi Minh, six days. So that's good news for Uh, applicants who are looking to come this fall in Vietnam, Thailand, or China, Uh, but not so good in Bangladesh, 551 days, Istanbul, 428, Abu Dhabi, 310, that's for student visas. So some real challenges there. Maybe you can get through emergency appointments, but uh, reality is there's still a lot of holes in U.S. embassies around the world. So where there is less weight in Vietnam, Bangkok, uh, China, Uh, you see maybe that's not as significant a demand uh, in terms of student flows. We don't know until we see the yearly data, which uh, we we won't get that for some time yet. But um, why is China not seeing significant uh, delays? Well, I think uh, any of us who've been in uh, international ed for the last uh, six, seven years has certainly seen this decline had, had started back in 2015 for many institutions, uh, where the numbers of Chinese undergraduates in particular started to decline. Uh, we saw a continuation of that decline during the Trump years, and during the pandemic, it was kind of a double whammy. Uh, had Trump issues, and then uh, China's response to the pandemic has also been a contributing factor uh, students not being able to get out. So uh, foreign uh, Newsmax has done a, a report on this, as has Foreign Affairs, so I'll be posting the links to those stories that uh, will we'll answer the second question we have today. How should U.S. universities respond to Chinese students? And this is a couple, looking at this in a couple different ways, uh, not foreign affairs, the second article is from Forbes. Uh, but that they both address uh, the issue of uh, Chinese student visas, uh, how we've seen the decline in the United States for several years now. Uh, we're seeing um, not only uh, a combination of uh, government policies in the United States and government policies in China. Uh, we're seeing issues with, uh, with how... Uh, obviously in the united states with the rise of uh, during the pandemic especially we saw the rise of anti-asian hate uh, and acts of violence against asian americans and and chinese and other uh, asian immigrants to this country or students in this country we saw that it happened Uh, so there's no way around uh, that question that it actually happened or not but what um, what we are what we are have seen is a slow erosion of that uh, we still, even though most of the rest of the world has come out of the pandemic, there are still significant travel restrictions in China. Uh, students are being told not to travel uh, in a lot of cases. So as a result, the number of Chinese student visas issued this year, uh, compared to pre-pandemic levels, was has uh, dropped more than 50 percent. And that's worrying. We were seeing five, ten, 15% declines in, in new students or overall Chinese students over the last five years. But the number with the number of visas issued being lower, 50% lower than they were uh, post pre-pandemic in a ta- at a time when most other markets are re-emerging and reawakening and sending more, more students again like we see, we've seen in India. Uh, you're seeing this uh, as a real worrying sign of what's, what's to come. But they are still the number one source country for the United States for international students. Uh, We are losing ground, uh, though, amongst uh, Chinese students who are looking at college education. The U.K. is uh, cleaning up uh, those students that might have come to us in the last couple years. They've been taking them in in droves. Uh, They're going to be well over 30, 35 percent of their total international students will be from China as of after this fall's intake, I'm sure. But we're seeing the significant numbers at large flagship institutions in the United States, where Chinese students uh, have uh, have started to, started to fall uh, even even before the pandemic, from highs of uh, uh, at the University of Nebraska Lincoln, where there were 1,200 uh, Chinese students. Uh, they've seen a 66% drop through last fall, 2021, in just five years, and they look they expect their numbers to be down or, or or slightly or flat this fall so Indiana University for example one of the major uh, top 20 uh, institutions for receiving uh, in international students they had uh, they have dropped over half in 20 uh, in six years uh, was like almost seven years from a high of uh, 1600 uh, excuse me it's over 3200 about 3200 in 2015 they're down to 1600 in the spring of 22. So uh, what it has had uh, is, the, is it's an overall cumulative effect of messaging from the US uh, pre uh, pre the current administration, but also uh, the trade wars or the Asian hates, the gun violence, all of these things are factors that impact uh, not just Chinese students, but in particular, uh, they've been uh, acute uh, victims of it uh, in terms of how uh, their interest in coming to the US has, has been, damaged significantly so uh, they the well the questions of safety uh, that during the pandemic especially uh, were 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 impacted so the question is what do you do what can you do and the Newsmax report obviously doesn't answer that part of it Uh, but what I am going to share with the Forbes piece is particularly addressing the positives, and that's why I always like to focus here on, uh, on the Roundup, is, is focus on what are, what are the positives, what are some of the examples of what institutions are doing to counter these negative, uh, negative trends that we're seeing. Uh, that the, uh, like I, we shared over the, this uh, Forbes article shares the same, uh, same data f- from uh, the drop in F-1 student visas issued in the first six months. Uh, at 31,000 compared to 64,000 in the first six months of 2019, pre-COVID, so three years ago, it, it's dropped uh, 50%. Uh, that uh, it concern, raises concerns against institutions that have been reliant on Chinese students. Um, I'm working for an institution now that uh, China is their number one uh, number one source for undergraduate and graduate students. Uh, so there's a real worry about what that's going to look like, uh, how much they will be impacted by that longer term. but uh, we, it's it's a bottom line thing for many institutions. Uh, it's also part of a, a larger trend we saw um, during the Trump years and uh, enhanced by the pandemic in terms of the drop of international students. So what can you do? and do you just ring your, you just toss your hands up and give up and Uh, just down tools and go all virtual and not uh, travel anywhere or or what is the what is the answer Uh, so there's uh, the in addition to the obvious facts that right now for US or any recruiter from any country to try and go to China to meet face-to-face with students and parents to reassure them in person it's very difficult because any institution that wants to send somebody that doesn't already have an on-campus rep or has permission to live in China, they face a 10-day quarantine uh, where pay- they have to pay their own way uh, before they can leave the hotel to uh, uh, to then do their business and then return. So uh, it's a, a little bit dodgy. I mean, most institutions don't have budget to, to send, have somebody sit in a hotel room in China for 10 days before they can actually do work in terms of direct recruitment. So... It's interesting to see what will happen because as China's refused to relax and open as much as the rest of the world has uh, they uh, they also are preventing a lot of their own students from, from going abroad. They're talking against travel, uh, other than to certain approved markets it looks like. So what are U.S. institutions doing? Uh, part of the examples this, this Forbes article uh, talks about. Uh, they look at uh, that. Though the good news is for this fall, we've uh, the, there has been an increase. Uh, almost two-thirds of institutions in the spring survey reported an increase in applications from international students for this coming academic year. Uh, f- that's up from the 43% reporting an increase a year ago. Uh, f- that. Uh, we're now looking, the prospects for a full recovery uh, are a little bit more murky in terms of whether that's actually going to happen. Some com- some campuses, and we'll show a couple examples here in a minute in our final question of the day, some campuses are uh, are, are being creative and uh, finding ways to diversify and to reach other markets but when it comes to China in particular uh, we're, we face a lot of different barriers that we just outlined. We face the um, the impact of uh, the pandemic. We face the impact of uh, Trump policies and the lingering after effects of that, the anti-Asian hate that came up during the pandemic especially. Uh, We also face competition, like I mentioned, from the UK uh, that Chinese students are flocking there uh, in numbers that they've never never done before. Uh, We now see um, our costs are becoming more prohibitive uh, for more of the Chinese market as uh, the, we've seen in past recent weeks the articles about the US dollar strengthening and the impact that that's having on international students ability to, to come to the US so there's the other added cost that we have here and that's even though the quality is still there even though the uh, prospects for grad for jobs after graduation are still there and career boost and uh, all the other networking things that b- drive students to the US and the campus experience is better than ever anywhere else are um, those aren't enough of a counterbalance now in a lot of different markets. China is certainly one of them. So uh, the, the challenge is, as we all know, uh, the over-dependence on China is difficult to replace. Uh, it's just there isn't another China out there, no matter how bad we look. We Anyone who has a uh, uh, even a cursory glance of, of of population charts around the world knows that after India and China there's no one even close to um, to a population to support uh, those kind of numbers uh, the after the China and India we're the next most populous country here in the u.s then it's uh, Indonesia then Brazil uh, then perhaps Nigeria and some other countries so we're um, we're talking about where the, where the next China is going to be it's not going to be any one it's probably going to be a mix of five or six that uh, or ten that are going to be uh, going to have to replace those numbers but the, the the point isn't that yes we all know we need to diversify yes we know we, we know we need to look at other other um, other in, other other markets, uh, but we also need to take bet we don't want to say and we should never say no to any particular market Uh, particularly when it's your number one market that's cutting your nose off to spite your face now in terms of what you can do uh, it's it's uh, there's there has to be a renewed emphasis as the Forbes article points out on direct in-person international recruitment Uh, and where you can't that's ways that you have to leverage your current students experiences to share why they are why they still feel they're getting good value for money, why they're having a positive experience, why they're not experiencing all the things that they'd heard about uh, and were cautioned about in terms of looking at the United States. So we have, uh, we, uh, there's been a rise in a need for mental health care uh, f- support for students that are coming from countries that it's not a thing to have mental health issues. Uh, but I think the pandemic certainly made us all realize how how fragile our own personal well-being can be uh, when we're thrust into a lockdown for uh, for months on end, and depending on where they're coming from. Uh, so there's ways that you can help your international students, uh, current students, uh, cr- uh, make sure that you're serving them effectively uh, in every aspect of their lives on campus. That you're capturing their stories and sharing them back out to your prospective students. So we'll see if it works uh, with China. Uh, I don't know if it will uh, 100%. We're not going back to those peak days in uh, in the mid-teens when we had 20-teens when we had. Three hundred thousand uh, Chinese plus. Uh, I don't, doubt we'll ever get back to that with a, such a re- over reliance on, uh, particularly Chinese undergraduates to drive a lot of campuses' international populations. So we'll see where we go, but uh, we can't ignore that market because it's always going to be there. Uh, there, there's nothing comparable that's ever happened in, uh, in terms of uh, international student flows to the U.S., uh, where a country would just be purposefully shut out, uh, except for Iran after the uh, Iran hostage crisis in 7980, that uh, led to Iran falling from the number one destination to outside the top 20 for a good 20 years. Uh, they're coming back, but they're still with the d- Iranian diaspora, there's certainly uh, more opportunities for them to come if they're outside of Iran, but there's still a huge market inside of Iran, but they're still finding a way. Uh, they're not going to get back to where they were, uh, but China is in a situation where there will always be opportunities to recruit there and to retain uh, a good percentage of students in there if you're smart about it. If you're uh, working with the right people in-country and have, having in-country representation and presence, not just in person but digitally, is essential in China if you're going to have any traction beyond what you're already doing uh, to, to even maintain what you're already doing. Uh, in terms of numbers that you have. So uh, you've got to stop the slide. And you, you don't stop the slide by doing the same thing you've been doing when you haven't been investing anything. Uh, you, you, you buck up and you realize, hey, we need, if this market's important to us, we're going we're gonna to be investing in uh, maintaining that relationship and getting that presence where it needs to be and having in-country representation that's reliable and then we can talk, talk to on a regular basis to get a sense of what's happening on the ground and adjust our strategy accordingly. So it does require flexibility, and that's not an easy thing to come by Uh, in higher education in the United States, just not. Uh, That's a a reality of the beast. But uh, there's hope, and uh, you should never give up hope uh, when there's still freedom of travel uh, and ability to get messaging to those audiences that you're trying to reach. So the question is, will your institutions make that commitment to do so? Uh, So that's, that's, that's where we'll leave that question how uh, we should respond to Chinese students. Show them that you care, uh, particularly your ones on campus. Um, that's the bottom line for that one. Now the final question will be a quick one, but how are U.S. universities making waves in international recruitment? And I, I'm, I'm bringing two very different examples up here, one of which is a story from Inside Higher Ed about Trine University in northwest, northeast uh, Indiana. Uh, I've known some folks who've worked at Trine over the years and uh, they've uh, always been a trier when it comes to international education. They've been committed to doing so. Uh, they realize that they're in a location that's uh, not necessarily the most attractive in Angola, Indiana, in northeast Ohio, where or northeast Indiana, where there's not a whole lot nearby. Uh, they have made inroads. Uh, while they have, uh, do have a, a, a campus of some international students, they've really seen record growth uh, through uh, through a very different strategy. They've opened up uh, satellite campuses that are more for uh, graduate education in Detroit, which is up Interstate 69 from uh, where they are in Indiana, about an hour and a half or so, maybe two hours. Uh, and then also they've opened a campus in Phoenix, Arizona of all places so uh, which has been a magnet for international students that might have already been uh, maybe finishing their undergraduate in those markets and looking to continue on for a graduate degree so they've seen success in thinking outside the box and uh, oftentimes that's what it takes to to truly differentiate yourself out in the marketplace. Another school that's doing exactly that on a massive scale is Arizona State. Uh, I've had an opportunity to uh, Uh, To know the folks at Arizona State that are uh, have been responsible for a lot of the growth they've seen Uh, One of my former colleagues from uh, Destination, Indiana Holly Singh, he's been out at Arizona State running their international student and scholar services for a few years uh, And they have just been going gangbusters. Let's let's give you some numbers here. Uh, This is from an Arizona State uh, news brief uh, last week Uh, They now have between their online and in-person on-campus uh, uh, student body, they now have 140,000 undergraduate and graduate students. Uh, and that's an increase of almost 6,000 from this time last year. The highlights of that, uh, for their, their campus locations, physical locations, almost 80,000 students are enrolled in ASU campuses, uh, compared with 76,000 last year, 3.2% increase, so fairly modest. Uh, online programs have increased 6.9% to 61,000. They have uh, about a, about 1,800 more graduate students from 28-1 to 29,933 graduate students in on-campus and online degree programs. That's a 6.4% increase. International students uh, in a combination of on-campus and online degree programs, up percent year-over-year from up to from 10,821 to 13,374. That's absolutely amazing and that's on top of one in three students enrolled at ASU being first-gen. So some staggering numbers there but let's let's talk about the international students. Just the first-year cohort this is again first-year freshman students enrolling this fall. 1,050 international students from 79 countries an increase of 44% from a year 44% increase year on year how are they doing that? That's a conversation for another day, and we'll certainly dig into that and some of those reasons why, but they are everywhere. They are, have a, a, an extensive agent network, they travel, uh, they have uh, some incredible partnerships that are working, institutional partnerships that are working for them to bring co- cohorts to their institution, so you really see uh, incredible growth. Uh, the, the international enrollment growth is down to, and here's um, uh, Matt Lopez, who's the uh, Associate Vice President of Academic Enterprise Enrollment and Executive Director of admission Services. Uh, ASU's reputation as a top global university has grown considerably around the world over the past year, particularly in India. Once international travel opened up this past year, members of our university leadership team and our faculty in business design and engineering programs travel abroad to continue to tell the ASU story. We also have admission staff living around the world building relationships with schools, parents, and prospective students, and a number of virtual experiences for students who cannot travel to our campuses. This personal and technologically enabled approach is critically important, especially for families and students who make the decision to travel across the globe to achieve their academic and career goals. So amazing, and uh, that's the kind of template if you want to be a player internationally, a big player internationally. That is what it takes uh, to see 44% growth year on year. They got out there this past year, they traveled, where most schools were just thinking about getting back out there, doing it slowly and, and moderately. They did a multi-level, multi, multi, uh, multi-stage multi approach towards how they were gonna recruit, and it pay- it's paid off, clearly. And uh, they're ahead of the curve that way. So. Congrats to ASU and uh, my colleagues there, Chris Johnson, on the undergrad recruitment and partnership side. Uh, best of luck to you guys as you as you continue to be uh, a leader uh, for many of us in terms of uh, growing your international population. So that's uh, what I have for you this week on the Roundup. I appreciate you sticking with me. Uh, we look forward to sharing more news in the coming weeks on uh, some of the hot topics of our field. So until next time, we wish you the very best and have a great day. Cheers.